Act Four of An Enemy of the People by Henrik Ibsen, translated by R. Farquharson Sharp. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Scene: A big old-fashioned room in Captain Horster's house. At the back, folding doors which are standing open lead to an anteroom. Three windows in the left-hand wall. In the middle of the opposite wall a platform has been erected. On this is a small table with two candles, a water-bottle and a glass, and a bell. The room is lit by lamps placed between the windows. In the foreground, on the left, there is a table with candles and a chair. To the right is a door and some chairs standing near it. The room is nearly filled with a crowd of townspeople of all sorts, a few women and schoolboys being amongst them. People are still streaming in from the back, and the room is soon filled. Hello, Lomstad. You here, too? I go to every public meeting, I do. Brought your whistle, too, I expect. I should think so, haven't you? Rather. And old Evanson said he was going to bring a cowhorn he did. Good old Evanson. I say, tell me what is going on here tonight. Dr. Stockman is going to deliver an address attacking the mayor. But the mayor is his brother. That doesn't matter. Dr. Stockman's not the chap to be afraid. For various reasons, which you will easily understand, I must beg to be excused. But fortunately we have among us a man who I think will be acceptable to you all. I refer to the President of the Householders' Association, Mr. Aslaxon. Yes, Aslaxon. Bravo, Aslaxon. Dr. Stockman takes up his MS and walks up and down the platform. Since my fellow citizens choose to entrust me with this duty, I cannot refuse. Loud applause. Aslaxon mounts the platform. Billing writing. Mr. Aslaxon was elected with enthusiasm. And now, as I am in this position, I should like to say a few brief words. I am a quiet and peaceable man who believes in discreet moderation and, and in moderate discretion. All my friends can bear witness to that. That's, That's right. right. That's right, Aslaxon. I have learned in the school of life and experience that moderation is the most valuable virtue a citizen can possess. Hear, hear. And moreover, that discretion and moderation are what enable a man to be of most service to the community. I would therefore suggest to our esteemed fellow citizen, who has called this meeting, that he should strive to keep strictly within the bounds of moderation. Three cheers for the Moderation Society. Shame. Shh. No interruptions, gentlemen, please. Does anyone wish to make any remarks? Mr. Chairman. The mayor will address the meeting. In consideration of the close relationship in which, as you all know, I stand to the present medical officer of the baths, I should have preferred not to speak this evening. But my official position with regard to the baths, and my solicitude for the vital interests of the town, compelled me to bring forward a motion. I venture to presume that there is not a single one of our citizens present who considers it desirable that unreliable and exaggerated accounts of the sanitary conditions of the baths and the town should be spread abroad. No, no, no. certainly not. We protest against it. Therefore, I should like to propose that the meeting should not permit the medical officer either to read or to comment on his proposed lecture. Not permit? What the devil? Ahem! <clears throat> Ahem! 
Very well. Go ahead. In my communication to the people's messenger, I have put the essential facts before the public in such a way that every fair-minded citizen can easily form his own opinion. From it you will see that the main result of the medical officer's proposals, apart from their constituting a vote of censure on the leading men of the town, would be to saddle the ratepayers with an unnecessary expenditure of at least some thousands of pounds. Sounds of disapproval among the audience and some catcalls. Silence, please, gentlemen. I beg to support the mayor's motion. I quite agree with him that there is something behind this agitation started by the doctor. He talks about the baths, but it is a revolution he is aiming at. He wants to get the administration of the town put into new hands. No one doubts the honesty of the doctor's intentions. No one will suggest that there can be any two opinions as to that. I myself am a believer in self-government for the people, provided it does not fall too heavily on the ratepayers. But that would be the case here, and that is why I will see Dr. Stockman damned—I beg your pardon—before I go with him in the matter. You can pay too dearly for a thing sometimes. That is my opinion. Loud applause on all sides. I, too, feel called upon to explain my position. Dr. Stockman's agitation appeared to be gaining a certain amount of sympathy at first, so I supported it as impartially as I could, but presently we had reason to suspect that we had allowed ourselves to be misled by misrepresentation of the state of affairs. Misrepresentation? Well, let us say not an entirely trustworthy representation. The mayor's statement has proved that. I hope no one here has any doubts as to my liberal principles. The attitude of the people's messenger towards important political questions is well known to everyone. But the advice of experienced and thoughtful men has convinced me that in purely local matters a newspaper ought to proceed with a certain caution. I entirely agree with the speaker. And in the matter before us, it is now an undoubted fact that Dr. Stockman has public opinion against him. Now, what is an editor's first and most obvious duty, gentlemen? Is it not to work in harmony with his readers? Has he not received a sort of tacit mandate to work persistently and assiduously for the welfare of those whose opinion he represents? Or is it possible I am mistaken in that? No, no! You are quite right. It has cost me a severe struggle to break with a man in whose house I have been lately a frequent guest, a man who till to-day had been able to pride himself on the undivided goodwill of his fellow-citizens, a man whose only, or at all events whose essential, failing, is that he is swayed by his heart rather than his head. That is true. Bravo, Stockman. But my duty to the community obliged me to break with him, and there is another consideration that impels me to oppose him, and as far as possible, to arrest him on the perilous course he has adopted, that is, consideration for his family. Please stick to the water supply and drainage. Consideration, I repeat, for his wife and his children, for whom he has made no provision. Is that us, mother? Hush! I will now put the mayor's proposition to the vote. There is no necessity. Tonight I have no intention of dealing with all that filth down at the baths. No, I have something quite different to say to you. What is coming now? I am a ratepayer, and therefore I have a right to speak to. And my entire, firm, inconceivable opinion is— Be quiet at the back there. He is drunk. Turn him out. 
They turn him out. Am I allowed to speak? Dr. Stockman will address the meeting. I should like to have seen anyone a few days ago dare to attempt to silence me as has been done tonight. I would have defended my sacred rights as a man like a lion. But now it is all one to me. I have something of even weightier importance to say to you. The crowd presses nearer to him, Morton Keel conspicuous among them. I have thought and pondered a great deal these last few days, pondered over such a variety of things that in the end my head seemed too full to hold them. Ahem. But I got them clear in my mind at last, and then I saw the whole situation lucidly. And that is why I am standing here tonight. I have a great revelation to make to you, my fellow citizens. I will impart to you a discovery of a far wider scope than the trifling matter that our water supply is poisoned and our medicinal baths are standing on pestiferous soil. Don't talk about the bath. We won't hear you. None of that. I have already told you that what I want to speak about is the great discovery I have made lately. The discovery that all the sources of our moral life are poisoned, and that the whole fabric of our civic community is founded on the pestiferous soil of falsehood. What is that, what is he, that, says? that he says? Such an insinuation. I call upon the speaker to moderate his language. I have always loved my native town as a man only can love the home of his youthful days. I was not old when I went away from here, and exile, longing, and memories cast, as it were, an additional halo over both the town and its inhabitants. Some clapping and applause. And there I stayed for many years in a horrible hole far away up north. When I came into contact with some of the people that lived scattered about among the rocks, I often thought that it would have been more service to the poor half-starved creatures if a veterinary doctor had been sent up there, instead of a man like me. Murmurs among the crowd. I'm damned if I have ever heard— It is an insult to a respectable population. Wait a bit. I do not think anyone will charge me with having forgotten my native town up there. I was like one of the cider ducks brooding on its nest and what i hatched was the plans for these baths applause and protests and then when fate at last decreed for me the great happiness of coming home again i assure you gentlemen i thought i had nothing more in the world to wish for or rather there was one thing i wished for eagerly untiringly ardently and that was to be able to be of service to my native town and the good of the community you chose a strange way of doing it. <clears throat> and so, with my eyes blinded to the real facts, I reveled in happiness. But yesterday morning, no, to be precise, it was yesterday afternoon, the eyes of my mind were opened wide, and the first thing I realized was the colossal stupidity of the authorities. Uproar, shouts, and laughter. Mrs. Stockman coughs persistently. Mr. Chairman. By virtue of my authority. It is a petty thing to catch me up on a word, Mr. Osloxen. What I mean is only that I got scent of the unbelievable piggishness 
our leading men had been responsible for down at the baths. I can't stand leading men at any price. I have had enough of such people in my time. They are like billy-goats on a young plantation. They do mischief everywhere. They stand in a free man's way, whatever way he turns, and what I should like best would be to see them exterminated like any other vermin. Uproar. Mr. Chairman, can we allow such expressions to pass? Doctor. I cannot understand how it is that I have only now acquired a clear conception of what these gentry are, when I had almost daily before my eyes in this town such an excellent specimen of them, my brother Peter, slow-witted and hide-bound in prejudice. Laughter, uproar, and hisses. Mrs. Stockman sits coughing assiduously. Aslaxon rings his bell violently. The drunken man who has got in again. Is it me he is talking about? My name's Peterson. All right. But devil take me if I... Turn out that drunken man. Turn, Turn him out. out. He is turned out again. Who was that person? I don't know who he is, Mr. Mayor. He doesn't belong here. I expect he's a navvy from over at... He had obviously had too much beer. Proceed, doctor. But please strive to be moderate in your language. Very well, gentlemen, I will say no more about our leading men. And if any one imagines, from what I have just said, that my object is to attack these people this evening, he is wrong, absolutely wide of the mark. For I cherish the comforting conviction that these parasites, all these venerable relics of a dying school of thought, are most admirably paving the way for their own extinction. They need no doctor's help to hasten their end, nor is it folk of that kind who constitute the most pressing danger to the community. It is not they who are most instrumental in poisoning the sources of our moral life and infecting the ground on which we stand. It is not they who are the most dangerous enemies of truth and freedom amongst us. Who then? Who is it? Name! Name! Name. You may depend upon it. I shall name them. That is precisely the great discovery I made yesterday. The most dangerous enemy of truth and freedom amongst us is the compact majority. Yes, the damned compact liberal majority. That is it. Now you know. Tremendous uproar. Most of the crowd are shouting, stamping, and hissing. Some of the older men among them exchange stolen glances and seem to be enjoying themselves. Mrs. Stockman gets up, looking anxious. Aleaf and Morton advance threateningly upon some of the schoolboys who are playing pranks. Aslaxon rings his bell and begs for silence. Hofstad and Billing both talk at once, but are inaudible. At last quiet is restored. As chairman? I call upon the speaker to withdraw the ill-considered expressions he has just used. Never, Mr. Aslaxon. It is the majority in our community that denies me my freedom and seeks to prevent my speaking the truth. The majority always has right on its side. And a truth, too, by God. The majority never has right on its side. Never, I say. That is one of these social lies against which an independent, intelligent man must wage war. Who is it that constitutes the majority of the population in a country? 
Is it the clever folk or the stupid? I don't imagine you will dispute the fact that at present the stupid people are in an absolutely overwhelming majority all the world over. But, good Lord, you can never pretend that it is right that the stupid folk should govern the clever ones. Uproar and cries. Oh, yes, you can shout me down, I know. But you cannot answer me. The majority has might on its side, unfortunately, but right it has not. I am in the right, I and a few other scattered individuals. The minority is always in the right. Renewed uproar. Aha! So Dr. Stockman has become an aristocrat since the day before yesterday. I have already said that I don't intend to waste a word on the puny, narrow-chested, short-winded crew whom we are leaving astern. Pulsating life no longer concerns itself with them. I am thinking of the few, the scattered few amongst us, who have absorbed new and vigorous truths. Such men stand, as it were, at the outposts, so far ahead that the compact majority has not yet been able to come up with them and there they are fighting for truths that are too newly born into the world of consciousness to have any considerable number of people on their side as yet. So the doctor is a revolutionary now? Good heavens, of course I am, Mr. Hobstadt. I propose to raise a revolution against the lie that the majority has the monopoly of the truth. What sort of truths are they that the majority usually supports? They are truths that are of such advanced age that they are beginning to break up. And if a truth is as old as that, it is also in a fair way to become a lie, gentlemen. Laughter and mocking cries. Yes, believe me or not, as you like, but the truths are by no means as long-lived as Methuselah, as some folk imagine. A normally constituted truth lives, let us say, as a rule seventeen or eighteen, or at most twenty years, seldom longer. But truths as aged as that are always worn frightfully thin, and nevertheless it is only then that the majority recognizes them and recommends them to the community as a wholesome moral nourishment. There is no great nutritive value in that sort of fare. I can assure you, and as a doctor I ought to know. These majority truths are like last year's cured meat, like rancid tainted ham, and they are the origin of the moral scurvy that is rampant in our communities. It appears to me that the speaker is wandering a long way from his subject. I quite agree with the chairman. Have you gone clean out of your senses, Peter? I am sticking as closely to my subject as I can, for my subject is precisely this, that it is the masses, the majority, this infernal compact majority, that poisons the sources of our moral life and infects the ground we stand on. And all this because the great, broad-minded majority of the people is prudent enough to show deference only to well-ascertained and well-approved truths. Ah, my good Mr. Hobsat, don't talk nonsense about well-ascertained truths. The truths of which the masses now approve are the very truths that the fighters at the outposts held to in the days of our grandfathers. We fighters at the outposts nowadays no longer approve of them, 
and I do not believe there is any other well-ascertained truth except this, that no community can live a healthy life if it is nourished only on such old marrowless truths. But instead of standing there using vague generalities, it would be interesting if you would tell us what these old marrowless truths are that we are nourished on. Applause from many quarters. Oh, I could give you a whole string of such abominations. But to begin with, I will confine myself to one well-approved truth, which at the bottom is a foul lie, but upon which, nevertheless, Mr. Hofstad and the people's messenger and all the messenger's supporters are nourished. And that is? That is the doctrine you have inherited from your forefathers, and proclaim thoughtlessly far and wide. The doctrine that the public, the crowd, the masses, are the essential part of the population, that they constitute the people, that the common folk, the ignorant and incomplete element in the community, have the same right to pronounce judgment and to approve, to direct, and to govern as the isolated, intellectually superior personalities in it. Well, damn me if ever I— Fellow citizens, take good note of that. Oh, ho! We are not the people. Only the superior folk are to govern, are they? Bellow out for talking such rubbish. Out with them. Blow your horn, Evanson. A horn is blown loudly amidst hisses and an angry uproar. Be reasonable. Can't you stand hearing the voice of truth for once? I don't in the least expect you to agree with me all at once. But I must say I did expect Mr. Hobstad to admit I was right when he had recovered his composure a little. He claims to be a free thinker. Free thinker, did he say? Is Hobstad a free thinker? Prove it, Dr. Stockman. When have I ever said so in print? No, confound it, you are right. You have never had the courage to. Well, I won't put you in a hole, Mr. Hobstad. Let us say it is I that am the free thinker, then. I am going to prove to you, scientifically, that the people's messenger leads you by the nose in a shameful manner when it tells you that you, that the common people, the crowd, the masses, are the real essence of the people. That is only a newspaper lie, I tell you. The common people are nothing more than the raw material of which a people is made groans laughter and uproar well isn't that the case isn't there an enormous difference between a well-bred and an ill-bred strain of animals take for instance a common barn-door hen what sort of eating do you get from a shrivelled-up old scrag of a fowl like that not much do you and what sort of eggs does it lay a fairly good crow or a raven can lay pretty nearly as good an egg but take a well-bred Spanish or Japanese hen, or a good pheasant or a turkey, then you will see the difference. Or take the case of dogs, with whom we humans are on such intimate terms. Think first of an ordinary common cur. I mean one of the horrible, coarse-haired, low-bred curs that do nothing but run about the streets and befoul the walls of the houses. Compare one of these curs with a poodle whose sires for many generations have been bred in a gentleman's house, where they have had the best of food and had the opportunity of hearing soft voices and music. 
Do you not think that the poodle's brain is developed to quite a different degree than that of the cur? Of course it is. It is puppies of well-bred poodles like that that show men trained to do incredibly clever tricks, things that a common cur could never learn to do even if it stood on its head. Uproar and mocking cries. Are you going to make out we are dogs now? We are not animals, doctor. Yes, but bless my soul, we are, my friend. It is true that we are the finest animals any one could wish for, but even among us exceptionally fine animals are rare. There is a tremendous difference between poodle men and cur men, and the amazing part of it is that Mr. Hobstad quite agrees with me, as long as it is a question of four-footed animals. Yes, it is true enough as far as they are concerned. Very well. But as soon as I extend the principle and apply it to two-legged animals, Mr. Hofstad stops short. He no longer dares to think independently or to pursue his ideas to their logical conclusion. So he turns the whole theory upside down and proclaims in the people's messenger that it is the barn-door hands and street curs that are the finest specimens in the menagerie. But that is always the way, as long as the man retains the traces of common origin and has not worked his way up to intellectual distinction. I lay no claim to any sort of distinction. I am the son of humble country folk, and I am proud that the stock I come from is rooted deep among the common people he insults. Bravo, Hofstad! Bravo! 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 The kind of common people I mean are not only to be found low down in the social scale. They crawl and swarm all around us, even in the highest social positions. You have only to look at your own fine distinguished mayor. My brother Peter is every bit as plebeian as any one that walks in two shoes. I protest against personal illusions of this kind and that not because he is like myself, descended from some old rascal of a pirate from Pomerania or thereabouts, because that is who we are descended from. An absurd legend. I deny it. But because he thinks what his superiors think, and holds the same opinions as they. People who do that are, intellectually speaking, common people, and that is why my magnificent brother Peter is, in reality, so very far from any distinction, and consequently also so far from being liberal-minded. Mr. Chairman! So it is only the distinguished men that are liberal-minded in this country. We are learning something quite new. Yes, that is part of my new discovery, too. And another part of it is that broad-mindedness is almost precisely the same thing as morality. That is why I maintain that it is absolutely inexcusable in the people's messenger to proclaim, day in and day out, the false doctrine that it is the masses, the crowd, the compact majority, that have the monopoly of broad-mindedness and morality, and that vice and corruption and every kind of intellectual depravity are the result of culture, just as all the filth that is draining into our baths is the result of the tanneries up at Molodal. Uproar and interruptions. Dr. Stockman is undisturbed, and goes on, carried away by his ardor, with a smile. And yet this same people's messenger can go on preaching that the masses ought to be elevated to higher conditions of life, 
but bless my soul if the messenger's teaching is to be depended upon this very raising up the masses would mean nothing more or less than setting them straightway upon the paths of depravity happily the theory that culture demoralizes is only an old falsehood that our forefathers believed in and we have inherited no it is ignorance poverty ugly conditions of life that do the devil's work in a house which does not get aired and swept every day my wife catherine maintains that the floor ought to be scrubbed as well but that is a debatable question in such a house let me tell you people will lose within two or three years the power of thinking or acting in a moral manner lack of oxygen weakens the conscience and there must be a plentiful lack of oxygen in very many houses in this town i should think judging from the fact that the whole compact majority can be unconscientious enough to wish to build the tower's prosperity on a quagmire of falsehood and deceit we cannot allow such a grave accusation to be flung at a citizen community i move that the chairman direct the speaker to sit down hear hear quite right make him sit down then i will go and shout the truth at every street corner i will write it in other towns newspapers the whole country shall know what is going on here it almost seems as if dr stockman's intention were to ruin the town yes my native town is so dear to me that i would rather ruin it than see it flourishing upon a lie this is really serious uproar and catcalls mrs stockman coughs but to no purpose her husband does not listen to her any longer a man must be a public enemy to wish to ruin a whole community what does the destruction of a community matter if it lives on lies it ought to be raised to the ground i tell you all who live by lies ought to be exterminated like vermin you will end up by infecting the whole country you will bring about such a state of things that the whole country will deserve to be ruined and if things come to that pass i shall say from the bottom of my heart let the whole country perish let all these people be exterminated that is talking like an out-and-out enemy of the people there sounded the voice of the people by all that's holy yes, yes he yes. is an enemy of the people he hates his country he hates his own people both as a citizen and as an individual I am profoundly disturbed by what we have had to listen to. Dr. Stockman has shown himself in a light I should never have dreamed of. I am unhappily obliged to subscribe to the opinion which I have just heard my estimable fellow-citizens utter, and I propose that we should give expression to that opinion in a resolution. I propose a resolution as follows. This meeting declares that it considers Dr. Thomas Stockman, medical officer of the baths, to be an enemy of the people a storm of cheers and applause a number of men surround the doctor and hiss him mrs stockman and petra have got up from their seats morton and ayleaf are fighting the other schoolboys for hissing and some of their elders separate them oh you fools i tell you that we cannot hear you now doctor a formal vote is about to be taken but out of regard for personal feelings it shall be by ballot and not verbal have you any clean paper mr billing i have both blue and white here 
That will do nicely. We shall get on more quickly that way. Cut it up into small strips. Yes, that's it. Blue means no, white means yes. I will come round myself and collect votes. Peter Stockman leaves the hall. Aslaxon and one or two others go round the room with slips of paper in their hats. I say, what has come to the doctor? What are we to think of it? Oh, you know how headstrong he is. Billing, you go to their house. Have you ever noticed if the fellow drinks? Well, I'm hanged if I know what to say. There are always spirits on the table when you go. I rather think he goes quite off his head sometimes. I wonder if there is any madness in his family. I shouldn't wonder if there were. No, it is nothing more than sheer malice. He wants to get even with somebody for something or another. Well, certainly he suggested a rise in his salary on one occasion lately, and did not get it. Ah, then it is easy to understand how it is. I want a blue one. I do. And I want a white one, too. It's that drunken chap again. Turn him out. Well, Stockman, do you see what these monkey tricks of yours lead to? I have done my duty. What was that you said about the tanneries at Molladell? You heard well enough. I said they were the source of all the filth. My tannery, too? Unfortunately, your tannery is by far the worst. Are you going to put that in the papers? I shall conceal nothing. That may cost you dearly, Stockman. Goes out. Well, Captain, so you lend your house to enemies of the people? I imagine I can do what I like with my own possessions, Mr. Vick. Then you can have no objection to my doing the same with mine. What do you mean, sir? You shall hear from me in the morning. Turns his back on him and moves off. Was that not your owner, Captain Horster? Yes. That was Mr. Vick, the ship owner. Aslaxon, with the voting papers in his hands, gets up onto the platform and rings his bell. Gentlemen, allow me to announce the result. By the votes of everyone here except one person. That is the drunk chap. By the votes of everyone here except a tipsy man. This meeting of citizens declares Dr. Thomas Stockman to be an enemy of the people. Shouts and applause. Three cheers for our ancient and honorable citizen community. Renewed applause. Three cheers for our able and energetic mayor, who has so loyally suppressed the promptings of family feeling. Cheers. The meeting is dissolved. Gets down. Three cheers for the chairman. Three cheers for Asluxen. Hurrah! Hurrah! My hat and coat, Petra. Captain, have you room on your ship for passengers to the New World? For you and yours, we will make room, Doctor. Good. Come, Catherine. Come, boys. Thomas, dear, let us go out by the back way. No back ways for me, Catherine. You will hear more of this enemy of the people before he shakes the dust off his shoes upon you. I am not so forgiving as a certain person. I do not say I forgive you, for you know not what you do. That is a blasphemous comparison, Dr. Stockman. It is, by God. It's dreadful for an earnest man to listen to. Threatens us now, does he? Let's go and break his windows. Duck him in the fjord. Blow your horn, Evenson. Pip-pip. Horn-blowing, hisses, and wild cries. Dr. Stockman goes out through the hall with his family. Horster elbowing away for them. Enemy, Enemy of the people! people. Enemy, Enemy of the people! Well, I'm damned if I go and drink toddy with the Stockmans tonight. The crowd presses towards the exit. 
The uproar continues. Shouts of Enemy of the people are heard from without. End of Act Four.